What's up, guys? It's uh, Hold Down the Fort here with another weekly edition of the main podcast with Rohan, myself, Vinay, Michael Gold, and the one and only Sam Fortney joining us from FGCU. Um, yeah, let's get, right, let's get right into it. You know, jam-packed slate for today. We got, first off, NBA breaking news, Kyrie Irving requesting a trade um, really close to the deadline next Thursday. How surprised are you by this and do you think that he ends up in la dallas where do you think he ends up after the deadline so i guess we'll ask uh rohan here you know as a basketball savant you know truly this news is groundbreaking and uh actually to cut all like my act or whatever um i don't know much about basketball but just by the assumption that he's requesting a trade so close to the deadline um and just like by knowing him, like over the course of the, of just like on scrolling on Twitter over the last few years, he, he like, I don't know what to think about him. Like, he's just such like a, a unique individual. Um, obviously, you know, got the talent to play anywhere. And LeBron is definitely probably going to, you know, call him up to, to come sign him for the Lakers. But, uh, you know, it is, it is very surprising to request a trade so close to the deadline. And, for the Nets, this is not a great situation because you're one of your star players is like ready to leave six days before yeah, the yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if I if I'm the Nets, I'm not happy. And if I'm Kyrie, I'm definitely looking to play for the for like a for like the Mavericks or for you know a team that can compete for for the playoffs. Um do I think he will end up there? No, because like I'm sure he's gonna ask for a lot of money, like stars do. So mm-hmm. it's, it's it's gonna be difficult to see, but yeah, very very interesting situation. But yeah, Sam, let's hear a little bit more uh, nuanced uh, analysis. Let's hear it. Yeah, uh, Rohan, I feel like you put it really well when you said that it's uh, it's not good when the star wants to leave, and and I'd be pretty mad if I was in that. I, I feel like that's a great way to to put it because um you know Joe Joe Sai and the Nets owner and Kyrie have had their back and forths. Uh, there have been reports now. That it's not even about the money, and that they, you know, they've worked out contracts, uh, possible extensions back and forth between the Nets and Kyrie, and they just can't get, um, just can't get common ground. I saw Kyrie wants about four years, one hundred ninety-six point five million. They said was the uh, estimated contract of what he wants uh, after this year. That's you know what high forties per year. I'm guessing right now he's on a thirty-six and a half million dollar deal for one year. So uh, they're just not really seeing eye to eye. But apparently this move is about more than just uh, the contract. Uh, it's intriguing to me, though. I feel like this is a lot of bluff. Every time they've had contract disputes between the two of them, something like this has come out. I mean, we all remember we did this, you know, just in the off season, like right before uh, the season started back in November. Uh, what was it, like September? And we had all this stuff going on with the Lakers, Russell Westbrook, two first round picks, blah blah blah, and nothing happened. And Kyrie ended up on the team still. I think it's gonna be more of the same. He'll stay and uh, finish out the year. And whatever happens in free agency happens in free agency. But I don't think he's getting moved before the deadline. If I had to pick a team that uh, that he does get traded to, I, I'm actually going to agree with Rohan, like, unironically this time and say that it would be the Mavericks. Because <laughs> uh, I think they're going to be the most desperate, you know. Uh, I don't think the Nets want Russell Westbrook in two first-round picks that are five years from now. Like, they just don't care about it enough to me. Uh, they want to help Durant now while Durant's on the team and, you know, still playing at an elite level. So Russell Westbrook and two first-round picks don't really do that for you. But, you know, if the Mavericks throw multiple first-round picks and that are closer, 
uh, a Tim Hardaway Jr., a Jaden Hardy off the bench, guys like that. I think that trade can end up being a lot more appealing because they're just so desperate to put another star next to Luca. But uh, that's just my take on that. I don't think he goes anywhere pre-deadline. Uh, maybe in free agency he will. But so if I did have to pick, it would be the Mavs. So you think they would move Luca to the two? I mean, I think it would be Kyrie to the two. That's kind of what he played when we saw with James Harden. Uh, James Harden played the one. He got the assist. He did the playmaking. And Kyrie was a more off-the-ball scorer. Like he, that's what Kyrie wants to be. He doesn't want to be a playmaking point. He served as the two in Cleveland, and we just didn't really know because, I mean, LeBron is your de facto point guard when he's there. So Kyrie was already every, – every stop he's gone except uh, Boston, he served as, as the two, even though they've just you know masked him and disguised him as a point guard. But I think he's naturally a two. I think he would play the two, and Luca would do what he does at the one. But yeah, uh, Michael, what do you think? You think he's staying? You think he's gone? I think I think you're right. I don't think he goes before the trade deadline. Um, I would not be surprised if he if he had a different home um, on free agency. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to see where it will end up. I mean, if he rejoins forces with LeBron, that'd be a crazy storyline. Um, you also just have to like imagine how it's going to shake up current rosters as well. Like what teams are going to have to get, get rid of um, to, to, to acquire him. Um, I know, like I saw a tweet earlier today that said that the Heat were considering giving up, you know, Tyler or Bam or Jimmy for, for Kyrie. So um, that's so crazy. Like, I don't think, I don't, I don't know how, you know, like real that stuff like that is. I don't put much stock into it unless it's coming from a big dog reporter. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. It's, it, it is definitely an interesting situation. I think Kyrie is, in my opinion, probably I can make a very convincing argument. He's the best playmaker or, I guess, ball handler in the history of the, of the game. Like, he puts a thing on a string like he's playing 2K. It's like crazy. But, um, yeah, I don't know. He's also played super well this season, so – it's just too much off the court stuff. I mean, that it's never been a problem of what he's doing on the court. It's it's always the side stuff. This lack of commitment, uh, the controversy, the budding with the head coaches. He's just not a team guy. We've seen yeah. that. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think there are, are definitely going to be teams out there willing to take that risk on the right. We'll see, I agree. We'll see when the time comes. Um, and I think with that being said, we can kind of transition over to the NFL unless y'all had anything to add on on the situation. Yeah, uh, we'll probably do a we'll probably do a trade deadline special uh, maybe after after it's over to break down any you know big trades. I know Zach Levine is on the market, I think, and now Kyrie and, and I'm sure there's other guys out there. Right, right. We'll see. We'll see. Next Thursday is the deadline, so we'll see then. Yes, sir. All right. So transitioning onto our NFL segment, uh, of course, last weekend championship weekend, uh, jam packed, a lot of storylines, especially in that Chiefs Bengals game. The Joe Burrow Mahomes storyline. Chiefs beat the Bengals twenty three to twenty. Hobbled Mahomes. Uh, what do you guys think? Did this silence any doubt about who the best quarterback in the NFL is? Uh, I guess I'll start with you, Sam. Yeah, uh, there really shouldn't have been any doubt in the first place. I think it was misplaced doubt, and, and we're just—it's just kind of a testament to Mahomes's, I guess you could say his greatness, but certainly his skill right now is that we're always so desperate to find him a rival and find him a a replacement and find him all these things and all these knocks on him, but they just don't exist. Anytime we've said a rivalry, it's always been, oh, Peyton and Josh, or Mahomes and Josh Allen is the next Peyton and Brady. Oh, Mahomes and Burrow is the next Peyton and Brady. Oh, Mahomes and, and Lamar, Mahomes and Herbert, Mahomes, all these guys. But the one common denominator is always Mahomes. He's always there. 
and you can take all his weapons away, you can take his health away, you can take everything, and he still found a way to get it done. Uh, he should never have been uh, put under Joe Burrow in any quarterback rankings. Uh, that's just ridiculous. To people's, uh, I mean, I, I feel like my point was almost kind of proven when I, when we were talking last week, and, and I was saying we, we've never seen Joe Burrow do anything without weapons. We've all only time we've seen him do anything great is when he had Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, a good offensive line, or no, horrible offensive line, but, you know, they, they pay pieces for the offensive line. But you got a good defense and good coach all around you, and you have all these things working in your favor, and then you play good. Uh, Mahomes, he just showed that you can take everything away from him, and he'll still outplay your quarterback. So, yeah, uh, yeah I thought there never yeah. should have been any doubt. Yeah, go ahead. Ron. Real quick to add, we also saw Mahomes play without any star wide receivers at his disposal. We saw him without Kadarius Sonia. We saw him without Juju Smith-Schuster. And, he was and, still- and uh, Michael Hartman. No Michael Hartman, Hartman either. Exactly. So he, he, had, he had Valdez Scantling and, and Noah Gray, the tight end. And, Tra- and Travis Kelsey, of course. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. you take away the three guys and- – I just feel like I have to say, um, I give major props to Mahomes for this win. But the storyline that, you know, he did it against all odds, I think the only odds he was realistically facing were, were his own uh, his own injury issues. But in terms of having the weapons, Travis Kelsey, to me, is the penultimate receiving weapon in the NFL. But that's it, though. Yeah, no, but it's, it's, it's ridiculous, like, how dominant – him and Kelsey have the connection. Like Kelsey getting open, guaranteed to score a touchdown, and he's scored a touchdown in like pretty much all these major postseason games. I feel like having that security blanket is something to be said. Uh, we talk about Mahomes and Kelsey's greatness synonymously, but I do think that there's a dependency there between both of them. And Kelsey really, you know, was extremely crucial in this game to become that security blanket in between the numbers when you know he can't, Mahomes can't take the top off and. I, mean, so I think that to play devil's advocate, like I do so well, um, I, I feel like you could say the same for any quarterback at the position, you know, to be in like a debate like this, like for Joe Burrow, for example, you know, his star player is Justin, is Justin Jefferson, not Justin Jefferson. What's his name? <laughs> uh, he used Jamar to be Justin Chase, Jefferson. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jamar Chase. Josh Allen has Stephon Diggs and, you know, but the, the difference is, like, when you say that, the difference is that Mahomes is the only one who we've seen do it with and without the star weapons. Like, yeah. we forget that. I mean, Mahomes did lose Tyreek Hill, his best receiver, and and had an even better season with more team success than they did last year. He's the only one we've seen it do it both ways. We haven't seen Joe. We haven't seen Josh. Uh, we haven't seen any of them do it without it. Lamar still doesn't have one. That's why we can't put him in the one discussion. So there's no other quarterback we've seen play at this type of level without, a, you know, a, a good receiving core – I mean, I get it. You have Travis Kelsey, but then you have nothing else the rest of the way. But Everyone Kelsey else has at least a couple of options. Like, he is in the conversation as the greatest tight end of all time. In my opinion, he's already the greatest postseason tight end of all I mean, time. Yeah, definitely. He, he definitely could be. I'm just saying you need more than one tight end to say but that you have a good like pass-catching core. Tight end. Like, I feel like Kelsey's greatness gets, gets overlooked in the sense that he is so leaps and bounds above the next best tight end in the league, in my opinion. It's not even close. Like you, you bring up a name like George Kittle, but I feel like Travis Kelsey is is just so much more dominant as a weapon as like even a Jamar Chase. And I feel like without Travis Kelsey, it would be interesting to see Mahomes because Kelsey is his security blanket in big, high-profile games. So yeah, I mean, yeah. Like I would hesitate to brand him as a performer with and without weapons until we see him 
in a high-profile game without his number one go-to security. There's just a difference, though. I mean, there's a difference between having Kelsey and a bunch of nobodies than having your whole receiving core decked in talent. Like, for, like obviously, you can't make it so you're throwing to actual nobodies. Like, you do need at least some solid, solid reception there. But Hill led in catches. He led in yards. He led in targets. Hill led in everything last year, and that's what you lost. So you did lose your number one receiving option. Yes, Kelsey is still there. But I can't just leave you five guys I picked up off the street and say, now do it. Like, you're always going to have something. But my point is that all these other guys have more than just – like, a defense can take out one player if they commit everything to him. Like, this was the first time we've seen Kelsey do this against the Bengals. The other three times they've played in the Mahomes-Burrow era, Kelsey's been um, not, you know, dealt with. But he's been handled pretty well, and the stats haven't been as good as this one. And even even this game, it wasn't – uh, jaw-dropping catches over and over again. It was doing the most to get five or six yards at a time. <clears throat> yeah, if I could kind of input. Um, yeah. Give some input. I, I don't know. I think that Vinay makes a, like a really, really solid <laughs> argument. Like, I, in fantasy next year, I'm definitely taking Kelsey in the first round. I think it was a big mistake for... Uh, I've been doing that every year. Yeah, for leagues that that, that don't. But, um, and I, and, you know, I do think, like, people probably don't talk about his... You know, when we're on this podcast, right, we've, we've always talked about, you know, how good Patty Mahomes has been. But what we, have, we haven't really had our agenda specifically, like Travis Kelsey on there, right? This is something that we don't like. People don't go out of their way to talk about Travis Kelsey. They go out of their way to talk about the star quarterback who, you know, when he had guys out, he, he found a way to win, right? They're not going to solely talk about Kelsey and his contributions. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, I do think that Kelsey is a huge piece to, to what Patrick Mahomes is able to do offensively and, and is a huge security blanket, like Vinay said. But at the same time, I also think that, you know, what he did um, last week was just unbelievable. Um, he still had a bunch of guys out. I think that, you know, we can't take away the, the credit that he deserves um, at all. And I think that, you know, like to, to, to get back to the question of like, did this silence any doubt? I don't think that there should have been any doubt. For this Which like, unfortunately was doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's also it also depends on where you're getting the doubt from, right? Like I just listened to Skip Bayless talk about Joe Burrow like he's the second coming of Jesus Christ for you know every day for the last three weeks before this game. But that, there's your problem. You listen to Skip Bayless say that. Stuff. There's plenty of others. I mean, you also just go on TikTok and see how many people are posting like hype videos of Joe Shiesty, Joe Burr, like how many like Instagram pages of ESPN and all these house of highlights and. And Bleacher Report, how they just like everyone just glazes him like like it's like a cinnamon glazed hot rod is what Joe Burrow is to all these girls and all these these Instagram pages and all these sports commentators like it it gets a little frustrating. I mean like there was there was definitely dad out there that you know oh it's Burrow head this is this is Burrow head the so Cincinnati mayor calling it like what Bengals Day like Bengals to the Super Bowl Day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there is there is definitely the the seedings of a narrative out there. Really interesting stuff about, you know, Patrick Holmes and Travis Kelsey, but kind of to shift the conversation to the other Kelsey brother, let's talk about the NFC Championship game with uh, Jason Kelsey and the Philadelphia Eagles. Kind of mopped the floor with uh, with the 49ers. Unfortunately, Brock Purdy had to leave the game. He's probably going to undergo – he's going to undergo Tommy John surgery in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Sad to see, you know, hope, you know, he recovers well, can kind of bounce back from this. Um, what should the 49ers do with their QB situation for the next season? Uh, Michael, what do you think? Well, Vinay and I have kind of talked about this. Um, they, they spent a really high pick on Trey Lance. 
And I think that, you know, for that fan base, if you find, like, if you were to offload Trey Lance, I think you get a lot of negative feedback, a lot of criticism, and rightly so, right? You use a very high-value pick on a guy. You know, he hasn't played terribly. He's, I think he's played pretty solidly in, like, the games we've seen him. Um, maybe not. I don't know. I, I, I would take him over Birdie, right? Like, mm, Probably not, but I, I, I guess I, we'll see. I don't know. I, I would take him over Purdy, but what happens to Jimmy Garoppolo though? He's not returning. He's gone. No, nah, he's gone. Yeah. 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 But I don't know. If I if I were the Niners, I'd probably keep Lance and Purdy. I think that'd be a, a pretty decent quarterback room. Um I think we still I think Trey Lance and Purdy both deserve some some more time. But I mean, especially Purdy. Like he went what, seven and one or seven and oh and like his, his starts, right? Like I mean, yeah, they won every won every game except for um well, the last one. That was the only game he lost as a starter. Yeah. So I guess if if I'm if I'm the Niners, I probably stick with the, the current quarterbacks that I have. Um, I don't I don't think I would switch up the quarterback room too much. Um, and I, as y'all kind of just alluded to, I think Jimmy G is gone. You try to maybe get something decent um, at some of your like the, the positions that you need um, for him. But besides that, I don't think you get rid of Purdy or or Lance. I think you still give him time to prove themselves. Um, if they can't do it then, after maybe a year or two, then you look elsewhere. Would would the Niners be concerned with the recovery of, of Brock Purdy? Like we see, you know, MLB pitchers take years to you know recover to their full potential. After Tommy John's, and you know, do we think you know that's something that the Niners would think about in you know the Brock Purdy situation? Well, I I feel like it has to be said from an executive standpoint that Niners are in a really unenviable situation because essentially what you have is a contending roster a Super Bowl caliber roster with the question mark at quarterback and a, a draft pick that you spent a high pick on that you haven't been able to properly evaluate. Mm-hmm. So for me, like from an executive standpoint, I feel like the Niners can't really bank on either Purdy or Lance. It's one of them. And then if that doesn't work, you immediately move on to a veteran because you have a contending roster. Um, Lance has not been evaluated yet, unfortunately, because he got injured this year. And last year he sat um, I don't think there's enough of a sample size for the Niners to justifiably move beyond such a heavy investment. And if they do, it's certainly not going to be for Brock Purdy. Unfortunately, in my opinion, we have seen Purdy's last game uh, in a 49ers uniform. I just think that having two rookie kind of unproven quarterbacks uh, be your only options, I feel like you got to bring in a vet to replace Jimmy Garoppolo. And um, yeah, this next season, if Lance does not pan out, uh, I think the 49ers are really unfor- in an unfortunate situation where they're going to have to just go into free agency and get the best possible quarterback or draft another quarterback. But again, it's it's a difficult situation because you know you have a Super Bowl caliber roster, but unfortunately you can't go out and get the best possible quarterback because you have someone in your room that you haven't yet properly evaluated. I mean, do you think that um, you said, you know, the ideal situation for the Niners would be to, uh, you know, bringing a, you know, star caliber NFL quarterback. Do you think uh, Aaron Rodgers is on the top of the list? Aaron Rodgers already said he's not going. Oh, he said he's not going? Yeah, he said he's not going to San Fran. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I yeah. Kinda, I kind of ruled that out. And I'm sure they would have talked to Brady had Brady not retired, but that kind of puts a wrench in that too. So, so who do we think is the ideal NFL caliber, like star caliber player to come into San Francisco? There just isn't one, frankly. Mm-hmm. He's just not out there right now. 
don't know. I I think it'd be a big mistake for them to take Derek Carr. No, I, they wouldn't do that. But um, yeah, I I don't. know. It's a tricky situation because uh, we you know we talk about such a heavy investment in Trey Lance, but we're coming up on the thirty year now since that investment has been made, and we've seen nothing. Uh, sometimes you kind of just got to let your ego drop and, and admit you missed on a pick because uh, if the guy can't stay available and and he didn't show any – I really – I mean, I see the flashes of the running, but he did not look great. I mean, when you get outplayed, outplayed by a Justin Fields who specializes in throwing under 150 yards, uh, then, you know, it's kind of a bad sign for your quarterback when you want to compete for a Super Bowl. That was but, a monsoon. Like, that was what? Was I'm, tired of, I'm tired of hearing the monsoon thing. I hear for the both The monsoon is a valid like, – I cannot imagine anyone going in there. Did, did every NFL game that Trey Lance ever play in was a monsoon? And did Justin Fields throwing 75 yards against the Lions in the indoor dome? Was that also a monsoon? All right. I don't like the Justin Fields sign, to be honest. I love Justin Fields. I'm, he just gets a little overhyped for someone who can't really throw the ball that well. That's what your guy Anthony is going to turn into. Uh, Yo, you mean our, you should put some respect on his name as well. You mean top ten pick, Anthony? Man, I ain't putting no respect on nine of twenty-seven. Oh man, well, he's still covered in dope with five receivers. <laughs> you the one who just said that he didn't have a he, bunch of that impact. He covered this L. That's what he covered. He covered an L. He covered an FSU, L. FSU covered the money line. That's what I worry about. Crazy that he went nine of twenty-seven. He's still scored how many points? I think forty-seven. Because your running back duo is ridiculous. So expect to run and make him make throws. Because Tre- Trevor's a baller. Uh, okay. All right. Well, we're getting re- way off track. <laughs> but anyways, I, yeah, I, I would start Purdy. He came in and from the jump did what Trey Lance could. Like his first game coming in mid-game against the Dolphins with that vaunted Dolphins defense, uh, he stopped them. And, I mean, like he just came out there and stomped all over them. So, I mean, I remember Jimmy G going down, and I was like, oh, great, we got Purdy, and let's get this win, and let's get to his bad game out of our minds. And then Purdy just kind of shat all over us a little bit. Yeah. I know, um, Rohan, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers possibly, you know, going to the Niners and Sam quickly shut it down. Um, but where do we think Rodgers is going to end up? Are there any destinations you think are most likely? Or- uh, it seems like the Jets, because, you know, they hire Nathaniel Hackett. They're kind of doing the Broncos route where we hire a coach that Aaron Rodgers liked and hopes that he'll want to come play for us. So I don't know how well it's going to work out, but if anyone's willing to, like, actually give up assets, because they, they want to go to the AFC. Like, they don't even want to send him in the conference. Because if they were considering sending him in the NFC, I'd probably pick the Commanders uh, to make a deal because they're, you know, they're desperate enough at this point where they've got some weapons and a defense. Uh, I'm sure they would do it. But if they only want to send to AFC, uh, probably between the Titans and the Jets, and uh, Aaron Rodgers does have a no-trade clause, I'm pretty sure, so I'm sure he'd rather play on the Jets than that Titans team with a lot of holes on it. So I think the Jets kind of have everything. They got young receivers, good defense. Got to fix the O-line, but that's about it. Other than that, that's a good ideal spot for Rodgers to go should he actually seek a trade. How much does the situation on the team – uh, play into his, his decision making. Like, is he going to play for a team that has zero chance of winning a Super Bowl? Or you know, um, I mean, probably not. I mean, you would think he wants to compete, and and I know, I know the, I know they are in the AFC East and the AFC as a whole. But the Jets roster is something that's ready for at least making the playoffs. And then once yeah. you get there, you never know. I know, but you mentioned like the Commanders, right? Like, right. I, well, I think the Commanders are also a potential quarterback away. I mean, you just you can only expect so much when you have Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz. But you have Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson is a promising rookie, Brian Robinson and Gibson are a solid run game, and it's the Commanders with Ron Rivera. I mean that defense is always going to be something. The D line is ridiculous, where you got Payne Sweat, 
uh, Chase Young, and uh, Jonathan Allen. I mean, that's those four on the D line is ridiculous. So I think that's a roster that has more potential than we've seen. We've just been seeing bad quarterback play uh, coming out of it. So I think the Commanders could definitely um, get into the playoffs, especially in the NFC right now because the NFC is so watered down, basically, uh, that you could take a lot of teams in there to the to the playoffs. Just not the Packers, I guess, in Aaron Rodgers' case. But now, what do you think, Rodgers? I'm sorry, you're a betting man. Yeah, I'm with Sam. Um, I think, in my opinion, it's between the Jets or retirement. Uh, I think we've come to really expect the unpredictable with Aaron Rodgers. And in terms of the Jets, I do think that hiring Nathaniel Hackett goes a long way. Uh, they do have a great uh, myriad of weapons. And to see you know, how they fared with really, really like suspect quarterback play. You got Zach Wilson. Mike White did decently, but, I mean, they were in the playoff picture till late. Uh, late in the season, I think that playing in the AFC East, uh, it's better than maybe an AFC West, per se. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that Aaron Rodgers is willing to retire if it's not the ideal situation. And the Commanders are a franchise with little history um, and really just had a very underwhelming end to their season last year as to where the Jets had a really optimistic uh, sort of end to their year. So. Uh, he'd really be following the uh, Brett Favre career arc of uh, yeah, going yeah. to the Jets from the Packers. I mean, I think the Titans is kind of the best spot to go to if you just want to make the playoffs because that division is so bad. Um, but once you get to the playoffs, you probably wouldn't be doing anything. I mean, you don't have any receivers. Uh, your O-line is eh, and your defense is solid at best. So I feel like the Titans, if you want to make the playoffs, go ahead. But, yeah, I'm with you, Vinay. I mean, Jets is definitely the best spot in terms of potential to actually win big games. The defense is championship caliber. Like, they only need, mm -hmm. realistically, average quarterback play to make the playoffs. Yeah. With elite quarterback play or the prospect of that, that is a Super Bowl contender next year. Agreed. So, with that, let's talk a little bit about some other news in, in the league. We saw the Broncos uh, hire Sean Payton. Any initial uh, thoughts, Vinay? Like, start with you. Yeah, we definitely got to start with yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not <laughs> super disappointed with the haul we got for him. You know, first. That's season. a good haul for a coach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, ideally, I would have wished that our pick was higher in this year's draft just because I think that addressing quarterback this year is, is a really important thing for us to do. But 29 is not bad. I think we get a good, uh, solid piece at that. It honestly, I'm not even going to judge this until the draft because it completely depends on what our general manager does with that 29th pick, uh, that'll decide whether or not this is a good value. Because I think that our, like, Mickey Loomis is on thin ice, uh, in my opinion, with his first-round picks. Uh, last you had a second-round pick, too, from the trade. Right, right. But this, this first-round pick is going to be really pivotal because mm -hmm. are very dangerously on the verge of becoming a poverty franchise. <laughs> and you know, it's, 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 it's so close. You're so right, though. It, it is so close. close. Like we are Andy Dalton or Jameis are they're not going to carry us through anything but a rebuild. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to judge it. I'm happy I'll be rooting for the Broncos and I'll be rooting for Sean Payton. I think it's a great fit. But I do have question marks for Russell Wilson and his ability to execute the offense uh, that Sean Payton brings. So, yeah. All right, if, you, if you were the Saints GM and you had this first pick, would you use it as leverage with like another player to trade up or would you just take your pick and who would you pick at that 29 spot, ideally? Well, I don't think that there's a player that we love as much as we loved Chris Olave last year to trade up for in this draft. Our most glaring needs are obviously quarterback and uh, guard. 
Uh, Man, you would have had a top 10 pick if you didn't trade it away to the Eagles. Yeah, that's why that's why the GM is on thin ice. That's why I don't trust him because we got fleeced yeah, by the wrong. Eagles. I mean, there's no way around that. The, the Eagles got us. So we really need to redeem ourselves with this pick. I'm thinking, I'm hoping that, you know, some Gators come our way, and namely Osiris Torrance or Anthony Richardson because those oh, – Oh, Torrance is a good pick. Those are our two most glaring needs, guard and quarterback. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think with that, should we make the transition to college football talk? I agree. All right. Yeah. So, you know, Matt Rule, Dion, Hugh Freeze, they all got, you know, they all had looked to have kind of a productive first year, new new schools. Um, you know, Sam, I'm going to ask you first, I guess. Uh, which coach do you think out of these you think will see the most success uh, in year one? Um, remember, we're not expecting – Sonny Dykes, no, obviously. Yeah. That's very but if you could break down kind of, you know, the situations of each team um, and maybe what you would expect, maybe some records, I don't know, whatever whatever your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at it like, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, obviously you're not getting a Sonny Dykes. Uh, Nebraska, Auburn, all, both decent jobs. I mean, I think they both have good features ahead of them. None of them had good last year's though. I mean, I'm not going to mention Colorado when we talk about last year with one and eleven. So uh, they won't probably do anything this year. I guess I'll take Nebraska because I mean Auburn does have probably better pieces, but you're in the SEC, so you're just going to probably lose a ton. At least with Nebraska and the Big Ten, you have the potential to stock up like you know, like the the garbage time wins or the you know pad your stats a little bit. It's interesting, though, because I think Matt Rule might have the best future of all of them, to be honest. I think he's the proven coach because Dion obviously isn't too proven, even though he's a great recruiter. But he does seem to be the one who's able to do both. And, uh, you know, a, a Hugh Freeze can recruit and coach, too. But when you're in the SEC, it's a lot harder to see the success from the two. So I think uh, Nebraska is probably going to have the brightest future both this year and going forward. Uh, you're already on the trail for Dylan Raiola, the number one recruit in the class of 2024. So you're looking to make an impact there. I think Matt Rule has the potential to do some some good things at Auburn. I mean, at Nebraska, sorry. So they, they're my pick for who's going to have the best first year of the three of these. Yeah, what do y'all What do y'all think? You, you think any of them in particular have you know, anywhere near what Sonny Dex did at, at TCU? Well, from what Sam said and from what I know about coaching and football is pr- being proven means everything. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with that Matt rule, you know, being the proven coach, he's done it at multiple levels. He's really successful at Baylor. That's what got him the monster contract in Carolina. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting the most from him uh, just because of his pedigree and the others are sort of wild cards. I mean, I, I wouldn't sleep on Dion. He's, you know, he has a fantastic, you know, recruiting class for, for the upcoming year. And just by watching his documentary, I can tell, you know, he's a very, you know, eccentric guy. Uh, cares a lot about, you know, his players and his program and uh, has had success at JSU. And I think, you know, that success is uh, not, you know, uh, not like a blip. I think, you know, he'll be successful. But, uh, but yeah, definitely, you know, to look out, uh, look out for Dion. Don't sleep on, on the boy, on Coach Prime. Yeah, I, I also think that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Matt Rule. Um, like you said, Sam, if we, if we just go down the list, you know, Dion at Colorado, they went 1-11. I think, you know, despite the talent they're getting pretty quickly, it, it appears uh, it still takes a lot more time um, to, to really develop something like solid um, and, you know, something that ha- has like real structure um, behind it, especially, you know, 
we, we talked, you know, the, the Pac-12 is is probably the best I can remember it being in recent years um, as it stands right now. A lot of competition there. Um, you look at Hugh Freeze at Auburn. Um, the SEC West is probably is the hardest division of any probably in, in the entire country. Yeah, yeah, probably. LSU, LSU, Bama. You know, we we talked about a not being amazing, but you still got Arkansas, Ole Miss. There's so many, so many teams um, that you know he's going to have to beat at Auburn. Um, and, and you know, if you look at Matt Rule, it you know Nebraska in the Big Ten. They're in the Big Ten. They're in the Big Ten East. Yeah. In the Big, sorry, no, they're in the Big Ten West. Sorry, in the Big Ten West is the way easier division uh, between the East and West. You, uh, you could potentially be a perennial conference championship appearance. Well, you, you look know? at you look well, at who are you beating? Wisconsin, Wisconsin's on the downfall too. So I mean, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Wisconsin, Wisconsin also has a first year head coach in Luke. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you have to you have to realize who who do they have to beat? They have to beat Purdue, Illinois. I mean, Iowa is always a very solid team. You got to like just defense, say, but but you know, I think they have the easiest path to success record wise. Yeah. Um, we're gonna talk about like long term success. Um, I might be more inclined to take Q Freeze just because maybe you get more resources in the SEC, uh, more competition, maybe, a bit, maybe a bit better of a recruiter. But if I were to say like the the, the coach, I'd be most certain with. Um, the next couple of years, having the most success, maybe the best chance of making it to that Big Ten championship game. I think it's it's Matt Rule. Um, yeah. All right, I think with that we can go to the next college football question, which is also our last college football question. Unfortunately, um, what teams do y'all think are under the most pressure um, this upcoming season? May I, may I answer this question first, Ashley? Oh, I I, I can only imagine what you're going to say, Ron. What do you? All right, before I answer, what do you think I'm going to say? Florida Gators. The rolling the oh. rolling Jesus to repeat. I'm not saying TCU. I'm not saying the Gators. I actually think Alabama and Nick Saban are under the most pressure. You know, not a not a huge, least successful season last year. Saban has one of the best recruiting classes um, coming in. You know, for next year, and he has a lot to prove. He, this is a bounce back year. They're expected to make the playoffs. Do we think they're going to make it? Probably yes. We we we. I think we all agree that they're going to be the number one seed. Uh, most of us took him as the preseason championship pick. Yeah. But despite that, I still think he, you know, he's going to be facing a lot of pressure. Um, you know, not, you know, it's not going to be easy. And I think, you know, with the with the talent that the the that's coming into the SEC, it's going to be it's going to be difficult. And I think Nick Saban is going to be under a lot of pressure next year. Me personally. Yeah, I think that a team that comes to mind for me is a Michigan, just because. Like you guys can correct me on this, but is is it actually realistic for Michigan fans to measure their entire season success year after year on that one game against Ohio State? Like at this point, with the amount of appearances they've had in the college football playoff, the absolute embarrassment that they suffered two years ago against Georgia, I mean, getting blown out in that fashion, and then TCU coming in with the Cinderella story and and beating the brakes off you offensively, just running up the score. I mean. At this point, if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm I'm really upset. I'm expecting more from the team once they get to the promised land because it really looks like they don't belong there when they get there and that the moment's way too big. And really, it looks like they only really suit up for that game against Ohio State every year. So I would Jim say – Jim Harbaugh still hasn't won a bowl game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like Jim Harbaugh, this guy's been there for a long time now since he left San Francisco. What has he really done? So I'm waiting for that hot seat to get even hotter after this year. Yeah, uh, you know, it's really funny to say because I was actually going to pick 
uh, Ohio State to have a lot of pressure on them. That's who most people pick because of Ryan Day. I, I, you know, when it, you know, last two years they haven't beaten Michigan, right? And I get it; they still made the playoff. But if they beat Michigan in that game, let, let's let's think about this. They're they're playing TCU in the semifinal game. I think we can all agree they would probably would win that game. Uh, then we get a, another game just like we saw in the semifinal um, when they played Georgia that went right down on the wire, right? And I think that we wouldn't even be discussing them as as having Ryan Day on the hot seat. But until they sh- they actually beat Michigan, um, and remember next year it's in the, it's in the big house. Um, I I don't know. I, you as a, as an Ohio State fan as a Buckeye, like not myself, but you got to start asking yourself like, when is enough enough from Ryan Day? Right? Is he ever going to get over the hump of of you know? Obviously he's beaten Michigan before, um, but. It'll probably be even harder next year because you just did it with CJ Stroud for two years. Now you got to do it with an unproven Kyle McCord, most likely. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, there are also a lot of other teams that I think have a lot of pressure on them. I think, you know, although I was kind of joking around, I do think the Gators have a lot of pressure on them. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, we. There's a lot more teams that have more pressure than Florida, though. Oh, yeah, I agree. But, like, as students, this is the first time since, like, the 80s that we've done back to back losing seasons, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've also. and those two same years are the same two years that Georgia has won the national championship, right? Like, this is not a good time to be a Gator football fan. Um, like they say, like, in all kinds of weather, you got to stick with it. But, like, um, yeah, we also just had Kyle Lofton at a huge three in this Kentucky game that we're watching. But, um, like, I don't know. I, I know it's Billy Napier's – last year was Billy Napier's first year. I really want to see some improvements in his second year. Um, Sam and I did that breakdown. I think we have a good chance to go eight and four. Yeah. Um, but – I don't know. I think there's a lot of pressure there. I think there's also a lot of pressure on Texas. Um, Quinn Ewers, second year. That's a good pick. Um, yeah, the Big 12 is, you know, not wide open. They have some competition, but I think they have um, some some solid weapons there. Like we talked about earlier, or not yep. earlier, in a previous pod, uh, Adonai Mitchell. I think James Worthy is, is still there, right? I think it's Xavier, Xavier Worthy. Xavier Worthy, sorry, sorry. Um, but... Yeah, I don't and they know. got they got some a uh, couple of five and four stars too that are coming in for. Yeah, they have a lot of talent. I think that they they need to prove something. I also think that if you're an FSU fan, um, there's a decent amount of pressure to, to yeah. that ACC championship game. We, yeah, we talked about it. The, the pressure is getting a little misplaced, but you're right. Yeah, yeah, make the not, ACC not, championship. Yeah, game. not not pressure to you know have a decent record this season. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Hump, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess the last team I kind of wanted to touch on was. Um, Oh, give me a second. Oh, maybe like Texas a and a team like That's, that. That was my pick. Yeah, that's who I was going to go with. Yeah, yeah. You got so much talent on that roster. And, you know, I think they do improve because how could you not after the abysmal season they had? Um, you got guys like Walton, uh, Walter Nolan uh, on the D-line. He was like the number four or three overall. Evan Stewart, player. number two, I believe. Stewart, big five-star. So. a dog. Yeah, so I, I think they do improve, but there's a lot of pressure on Jimbo. Like that – their performance – I mean, the guy was, like, calling plays like he was in, like, the 1990s. Like, I don't even know why he's calling the shots there anymore. Um, but, yeah, that, that would have been my, my few teams that have a lot of pressure on them. But, yeah, Sam. Yeah, so my two – well, one of, the, one of my picks was Texas A&M. And, and I don't want to you – know, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. You kind of just hit it on the head. A lot of five stars coming in both years. Uh, you paid a lot of money for that class regardless of what you want to say, Jimbo. Ever since you left FSU, you kind of gotten exposed as being a little loser because you got ranked number five last year to start, and now you sucked and you went. It was just a bad year. No bowl game, no nothing with all that talent. Uh, I get it. You didn't have a great quarterback, but you know what? A lot of pressure on you now. You should be on the hot seat. 
my other pick is Clemson, you know, kind of the same thing as as FSU. I mean, two back-to-back years of, of disappointing, frankly. And you lost to South Carolina at home, which never happens. Uh, and then you get blown out in the Tennessee Bowl game. That You didn't look good there at all. Uh, it just was not a good year for you. Wake Forest took you into a shootout, and that was, that was actually one of the most best games I watched all year. But, I mean, that Wake Forest shootout should not have happened if you're really the Clemson, and you got to go into the 50s in overtime to barely scrape out a win. So I think going into next year, uh, is Cade Klubnik a star? I don't know. You've been hyping him up like he is one, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, the recruiting is down. Everything has just been down with Clemson. You're losing guys like Miles Murphy and Brian Breezy? Brise? I don't know how to pronounce the last name. I think I don't know how to say it, but yeah, he's a dog. Yeah, but you're losing him to the draft. You're losing Miles Murphy to the draft. DJU transfers, and now all the pressure's on Cade. Um, this is your year. I mean, I think you've kind of seen World the You've kind of, you know, we, we all agree that ACC is the worst conference in, in college football right now. And you've kind of just been toying with it the last few years. But FSU is here. North Carolina's got Drake May. Uh, that's kind of it. And it's still, it's still a shitty conference. But those two teams are definitely still viable. I think you got to win. And you, and you got to really make a push for the playoffs again. And you got to have Kate Klebnik be a star. Or else we're going to look at three years of disappointing play. And I'm not saying Dabo's on the hot seat or anything, but we kind of look at you with a, you know, I don't know, a side eye or something now. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting because if, if, if a few years ago you, you were to tell me that we'd be in a situation where we'd have a playoff in 2022 without Dabo or Saban, like I would tell you. Yeah, it would be crazy. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what happened. I also think another team from the ACC has a lot of pressure on them is Miami. Um, very, very yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah for first of all, but I don't know. Um, we'll see what happens there. But that being, we'll switch over to the other football. Football. Yep. So, some recent transfer news in the world of the European European football. We got Enzo Fernandez, massive transfer fee. He's going to Chelsea. Made his debut against Fulham. Looked pretty good in my opinion. They didn't get the result. That was kind of hilarious. Uh, Shocker. Jao Cancelo, you know, big loss for Man City in my opinion. Big game for Bayern and a lot of uh, dynamics there behind the scenes in in Manchester. I mean, it only took him 17 minutes to get his first assist at Bayern. So he is by far the greatest right back in in world football right now. I don't think it's it's not close. It's very close right now. So that's a big addition for Bayern. Uh, Marcel Sabitzer. Uh, we didn't see him against Crystal Palace, but that man, uh, I'm expecting big things from him. He's uh, on loan to Manchester United. We got Navas to Nottingham Forest. Kaylor Navas was not getting any time as a PSG backup goalkeeper once John Luigi Donnarumma came in. So I think this is a good move for him, kind of to you know, get some playing time, kind of establish that he's still like a number one goalkeeper for a club. And Nottingham Forest is a decent team, you know, in the Premier League. Um, Premier League is a place to be for him, I think. And, uh, you know, he can make a big move elsewhere because it's pretty much established that John Luigi Donner wants going to be the PSG number one goalkeeper for, for a while. He's still super young and he has a lot of potential. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a huge move. Like, I'm really excited to see how Novice fares in the Premier League. That guy is really, really talented. Uh, let's not forget, he was the he was a goalie of Real Madrid when they won three straight champions. That is true. And also, he was also the goalkeeper for Costa Rica's run in the, what, 2014 World Cup. breakout year. Yeah. So that, that's a really talented keeper that I'm happy to see in the Premier League. I'm happy that a team like Nottingham's getting him, too. I'm rooting for it. I'm a big uh, proxy Nottingham fan, you know, Jesse Lingard and such. But, uh, yeah, finally, we got Jorginho to Arsenal. Um, I think this is a big pickup for Arsenal. Um, 
Jorginho has a lot of quality. It's, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in that midfield. But what are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see Jorginho kind of play as like the 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 playmaker that Italians are accustomed to playing, uh, sitting like a, a like a deep line playmaker, kind of playing right in front of the back line and kind of shooting those balls to the wings. So it will be definitely interesting to see how you know he can distribute the ball to like Martinelli and Saka. And kind of he can how he can control the game, slow it down, speed it up, whatever you know is necessary. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just like another move from Chelsea to to clear up some money from the outrageous spending that they had in the January transfer window. I think they spent over six hundred million euros in the January transfer window alone. And can you imagine uh, for like people who don't really follow the Premier League? This is smack dab in the middle of the season that they're doing this. It's like doing it at the trade deadline, just trading for a whole new roster and paying a hundred. Yeah. They, they can literally euros. make three, three independent full teams of just players that they have on their roster: young players, current players, new players that they have as well. Like it's it's nuts that that they have so much depth, and despite the fact that they have thrown so much money on their team. They still can't beat the likes of Fulham, and and it's 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 just a disaster. And also another thing that happened in the transfer window regarding Chelsea, which is hilarious, uh, Paris Saint Germain were trying to sign Hakim Ziyech, a winger from Chelsea, and Chelsea messed up the paperwork three times. The first time they didn't like provide like the correct signatures. The second time there was a mistake with the transfer fee, and the third time they just couldn't submit the dead couldn't submit the paperwork by the deadline. So that was like another disaster that happened with Chelsea. They would have offloaded this bit, this winger and they would have made like at least 50 to 70 million euros to free to like make back some of the money that they've spent. But now they're left with this with this winger who's probably not going to get enough playing time and he's going to probably regress like yeah. massively. It makes me question, you know, if you are so incompetent and off a simple transaction to offload someone, what makes you what makes fans of Chelsea and outsiders think that you would be competent? competent in bringing in all these high money transfers so it's really just a, a really discouraging outlook for chelsea um, from an outsider's point of view and i can imagine for the fans that i happens. mean i don't know like if, if this is like super familiar like if specifically to sam and michael like other sports where new owners come in they spend a lot of money to bring in players and like they still like don't have success like what are your what is like every what are your thoughts on that like what do you think from like a manager perspective, is their next move? Do they um, like hire like a new board to like rethink that their manager re- rethink their decision making? Do they fire their current manager who isn't performing? What do you think is their next move, Michael? We'll start off with you. Well, I mean, I think it depends on the situation. You're giving like a pretty general like. All right, so basically, right now Chelsea are like tenth in the Premier League. They're normally a top six, top four team. Um, they have a huge like a like a absurd amount of players their manager kind of sucks and they have new american owners so what do you what do you think is like the next step for them i mean it sounds like the gm is a, a big cause of a lot of the problems there right you said there's a lot of paperwork issues there's a lot of um i don't know they're, they're not they obviously don't have the the chemistry with the the, the team that they have to, to successful i mean that's also not to like you said, like it was a disaster class against uh, Fulham. Isn't Fulham like a pretty solid team? In the I mean, right now, like in any shape or form, <clears throat> beating a team like when, Fulham. when you outspend a team by six hundred million, 
you should be beating that team. And by the way, to compare Chelsea spending alone with all the other leagues in Europe, I think Chelsea spent six hundred million. The other leagues in Europe have spent less than three hundred million. So just to compare the entire leagues of teams in France, Spain, Italy, Germany, etc., have spent less than half of what Chelsea has spent this in just January alone, which is nuts to think. I also think this goes back to like, I don't know, you, you can try to relate this to like other sports as well, right? Like in, in college football, we're seeing like pay for players, right? Like um, we don't really know how it's going to materialize um, in the next couple of years. But, you know, I, I think it creates issues because, you know, it's, it's not all about like, you know, how talented of players you can get, right? Like in college football, Sam and I have always said like, you know, it's a talent acquisition business, right? That's what it is. Um, the best teams will have that talent. But I think that, you know, uh, something that does that plays a lot more into effect in soccer is, is chemistry and, and building that chemistry over time. Um, I don't think that, you know, soccer is a sport where you can just buy players, add them to your roster and say, okay, um, we should be winning that, right? Like, I think it's, it's something that takes a lot more time and patience. Um, and, and sure, obviously, if you're significantly outspending someone, then it's probably a much deeper issue. And, you know, they should definitely consider maybe getting a new a new GM or or I don't know. I don't really know what else there is to, to, to do in that situation besides get a new GM because the GM has so much control over what happens with the team um, and their success, right? I think that um, the, the situation they're in now is in, probably in large part due to the GM and the decisions they made, mistakes they've made. Um, but I don't know. I'm not as in touch with the Chelsea um, administration or I guess dynamic um, as probably y'all are, but it seems like from my experience playing uh, my GM on 2K, that the GM could, can do a lot of things. Um, and as a result of that power, it can, you know, either be really good or really bad. I think it's been um, pretty bad as of late, like y'all said. So I don't know. I think maybe getting a new GM is is something that, that could help them. Yeah, I think that it's, it's literally, like you mentioned playing my GM on 2K. This is literally some stuff you see on my career mode in FIFA. I mean, that unlimited budget, you know, spending recklessly, not really knowing how they're going to fit into your team. It just makes me think that Chelsea are not thinking anything through at the moment, except for, you know, pulling the trigger as fast as they can on the next big money player. Yeah. Like you said previously, this is a complete act of desperation. Like this is like this is a complete oversight of of the management of the, the manager himself. Just spending on players to to survive is not the way to, to, to end the situation. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll touch more about uh, the Chelsea situation with updates, uh, if there's any, you know, over the course of the season. Um, with that, we'll move on to our next topic uh, regarding Manchester United specifically, if you want to take it away with that. Yeah, so this one, we can actually get uh, Sam and Michael, we, we can uh, appreciate your opinion on this because it's a very conceptual question about fans and sports teams in general. So basically, the, the quick summary is there was this really bright superstar golden generation boy named Mason Greenwood, teenager on Manchester United. He was lighting it up. He's going to be the next star of the club. A, a generational player was what he was deemed by the media, by coaches, by fellow players. It was a consensus that he was destined for greatness. And recently, I think a year ago maybe it was like during covid i think yeah yeah like a while ago he got arrested on rape charges sexual assault and um yeah it was just really really uh 
unfortunate to hear to hear about that for the victim and and, and and to be a little bit to add like a little bit more detail there was a recording that came out which documented like the accusation like him like having an argument with with this partner and the the aggression and like the physicality yeah it was it was really clear cut to see like sort of how how things how things played out when you read about the court documents and you hear that video it put the story like matched up pretty well and and Greenwood was, was was basically disgraced. And now recently he has been absolved of, of all charges. All the charges have been dropped. Uh, he's expected to return to the team. This is two years of him just being not being with the team, being disgraced publicly. And as a Manchester United fan, I'm really I'm not really conflicted because I don't want him back on this team. I don't want a guy with a history like that, um, with with these things that have come to light. To, to be on this team. I don't feel like I can root for something like that. But yeah, I just have to ask you guys, like as a fan, when, when one of your star players is, is disgraced like that publicly and then is uh, all of a sudden just absolved of everything, like what as a fan do you think you should do? Should you accept them? Should you root for them? Or should you denounce their role in your, in your team? I think as a fan, um, uh, and this is the type of fan that I am, uh, it's to seek truth. Right. I think that although that might be hard to do in, in such a complex situation, you know, being absolved of, of charges doesn't necessarily mean you're innocent. Right. Um, someone could have definitely done something that was immoral, unethical. And that no, no fan of any team, um, regardless of you know how much of a diehard you really are, should support um, or you know, tolerate. Um, I don't know. I, I think that I would have definitely have to know a bit more about the situation, look into, you know, why he was absolved of those charges. Um, you know, basically to answer your question really quickly, the short answer is that the prosecution like was not able to like secure their witnesses, like the witnesses like dropped out of testifying last minute. Yeah, it, was, it was basically a payoff. Basically, we, so, could, we could assume that they were paid off not to speak. So so he's guilty is what we're assuming. I mean, in a world where he's guilty, you don't support him. You denounce him and say, you know, maybe find somewhere else to go where they're they're in support of those terrible things that you did. Um, but if he didn't do it, then I would say, you know, he, I think he deserves um, just as equal a right as any other player. I think that the simple question is just whether he did it or not. From what y'all are telling me, it seems like he's, he did and paid off people to, to not be there for him. And, you know, as, as much of a fan I know as you are, Vinay, I'm sure – that you you probably are not in support of, of him as a player and you know it's it's a bad situation but you know as a, like it's the result of someone's actions right um, and intentional actions and for me personally i i don't mess with that at all like it's a very very like low bar for for someone when you're especially going to be such a rising star like the, the that's like probably the worst thing you could do like i, I don't i don't know was going through his head uh obviously nothing great like very brilliant but <laughs> i don't know it, it, it's it's a very shit situation but you know you make decisions that lead to that situation shit situation um and i don't think that anyone should have remorse for for actions like that um it's pretty inexcusable sam what about you oh yeah you guys kind of hit it on the head obviously i'm not the most informed on Man United affairs, but Rohan, just going off the information that you're telling me now, it seems really sketch. And I know the overseas laws work a lot different than over here. So some uh, foul play <laughs> with the court case definitely could have happened. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's an unfortunate situation that we can't get a clear truth. 
but it's it's a really hard spot to be put in as a fan. I, it, my my gut would tell me just try not to root again. Maybe root for team success, but not necessarily player success. But that's a real, real tough situation to be in as a fan and as a team. Yeah, if if I'm Man United, if I'm Man United, if I'm a Man United fan, I just got to look at what I know. I've heard the court. I've I've heard the recordings that have been released. I've read the court documents. I know you know what the club has done. I can assume that he's done it. You know, that committed the crime. While he has absolved, we know that he did it. So if I'm the Manchester United office, I'm looking to move him out of the club, cash in on him while he may still have value as a player, but maybe not as a person. Yeah. Um, move him away. Either send him out on loan. Um, terminate his contract if necessary. Um, if he doesn't get like a deal away from the club, because if I'm another club, you know that reputation is also attached to the player. Um, so you, if you really have to like look at the at the player more so than the talent of the player bring in this specific situation. Yeah. So if if I'm a club, if I'm Manchester United, I'm moving him out of the club regardless of whether he did or didn't do it, just because of the of the accusation made and the evidence around it, which has already been like released. But that that's that's my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. Basically long story short, from my standpoint, I don't want him at the club. It hurts me to think about, you know, had he been responsible, we would probably be an even better team with him just because that's the kind of promise that he showed. But you know, it doesn't make sense to dwell on things like that when you know, you, you, you can kind of see for yourself as a, as a person uh, what this guy what, what this guy is. Yeah. And he doesn't belong at the club. Yeah. Well, and with that, let's transition over to our best bet segment. Uh, as keeping with normal tradition, I guess I'll go first. Last week had a fantastic week. Went three for three. Thank you. To recap, uh, I took Rashford, anytime goal scorer versus Crystal Palace. Uh, Oz Eman, anytime goal scorer versus Roma, and the Leche Moneyline versus Cremonese. All three were a hit. Uh, I don't know what my overall record is, but it is three more than it was last week. So let's keep it up. Uh, these are my bets for the upcoming week. All right. Number one, I'm taking the Tottenham Hotspur money line versus Leicester City at plus 105. I think that this is a. <laughs> Huh, this is a fantastic line. If if I'm if I'm a, a, a Spurs fan or any soccer fan in general, uh, Leicester City are having a shambolic year, and Tottenham are making a charge for European soccer. While they have dwindled in form uh, the last few weeks, I still think that a more a morality that Tottenham Hotspur can beat a full strength Leicester City. Um, Leicester City are you know, fighting for the relegation uh, spots uh, to get out of them, but. I still don't think that they would be able to defeat Tottenham Hotspur. So the line at plus 105 is, is a fantastic one. The next one is Real Betis money line versus Almeria plus 150. This is in the La Liga. Um, if you watch uh, Vinay and I's soccer recap at the beginning of the year, <laughs> for the big leagues, we, we, we highly rated uh, Real Betis. Um, they're having a pretty, pretty incredible year. Um, they late runs in the Spanish Cup and being a top four competitor in La Liga. And I've honestly never heard of this Almeria team before. So I'm just hedging my bets that Real Betis can close the deal. Plus 150, I think, is a fantastic line to take. Uh, and then lastly, uh, this is a game that I've been watching 
There's the uh, Derby de Milan, International Milano versus AC Milan. I think this game is going to end up in a draw. I just think that both these teams are so equal. The fact that they are like they're good and they are bad at certain instances of the game. I think that with the form that Inter Milan is right now, I don't think that they will be able to outscore Milan. But at the same time, with the form that Milan's in, I don't think that they're going to outscore Inter. I think this is going to be a stalemate of the game. A stalemate of the game. I think it's going to end 1-1. But if I had to choose an outright winner, I would say AC Milan. But I still think it's going to be a draw. The line's at plus 250. Um, so I, would, I would take that sparingly. My lock of the week is going to be the Spurs money line versus Leicester City. Um, but yeah, the but definitely the most interesting game is the Inter Milan versus AC Milan game. So if you're looking for a good game to watch on Saturday, uh, or sorry, on Sunday, it'll be that game. But yeah. <laughs> All right, I guess I can go next. Um, similar to Rohan, I also had a pretty good week. Am I pretty good? I mean, um, three of three. Okay. I'm not really much. Um, so Brentford beat Southampton 3-0. Um, I took their money line. Um, and then I took uh, both the, Chief, the Chiefs and Eagles to win those two games. They both took care of business. Uh, I'm now 12 out of 18 overall. I think uh, if my math serves me correctly, that's about 66.66667% correct. So that's, I think I think uh, I'm 11 out of 18 because last week I was one behind you. Yeah. So, so we're yeah. pretty similar, obviously. Yeah, yeah very similar. Um, hoping to keep that hot streak alive. So here are my best bets of the week. First and foremost, got to say, LeBron is only 36 points away from being the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. Um, what we once thought was an untouchable record set by Kareem uh, after Wilt. Um, it's been touched, and it's been touched by my GOAT and who I think will be uh, the undis- who should be the undisputed GOAT um, after he sets this record. Um, I think you're going to take – so the bet is uh, LeBron over on points. The line has not been set yet, but – Whatever that, that points line is, I'll take the over. Um, he needs 36. I think it'd be in very LeBron fashion for him to get it in that game uh, against the Thunder at home. Um, and what's no longer called the Staples Center, uh, the Crypto.com Arena or whatever it's called. So um, I'll take that. Um, I'll also be taking uh, Florida basketball, the cover versus Bama weekend. Uh, it's in Tuscaloosa. Uh, we're watching this game right now. They're looking pretty subpar. Um you just missed a wide open layup by Castleton, but he got fouled. So we're down 10 to Kentucky, uh, hopefully after he makes his next free throw. But we just came off a great win against Tennessee, the number two team in the country. Um, beat them by, I think, 13 at home. I was at that game. Um, great environment. Uh, the O-Dome was rocking. So I, I do think that, you know, it's a much needed per- game for us, much needed win. So um, the line isn't set yet, but I'll set it kind of myself as kind of like an alternative point spread. Uh, I'll take Florida to cover plus eight line. I think we keep it close at minimum. Um, and then lastly, I'm going to keep riding with Brentford. Um, line is currently set at plus one and a half versus Arsenal. Arsenal not in great form right now. They just lost to Everton. Morning, um, they were the twelfth leg of my twelve legger um, that was still alive, and they lost to Everton, um, a team that. Was- oh yeah, to to provide context, Arsenal the first in the Premier League, and Everton is nineteenth in the Premier League. So the best team versus the second worst team was the upset, which is very unfortunate. I, like. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I think they they're pretty solid, and 
If they lose, it'll probably be not by uh, two or more goals. So Brentford plus one and a half is my bet. I think that was a foul for sure. Oh, my God. That guy just got absolutely mocked. Okay. Anyway, who's next? Uh, I'll, I'll breeze through mine real quick. I don't have much to say. One and three last week. I'm recovering from an 0-3 slump at least, so it's not 0-3. So yeah, do a punishment. Still do a punishment for that. Much huh? Sam, you're very in need of like a three of three week. I know, which is why this week, when I've put zero effort into my best bets, will be the week that I go three for three. <laughs> so we're just gonna plunge right into this college basketball parlay of Colorado money line, uh, Utah money line, and Ohio State money line, and we're just gonna throw it in there, and we're gonna let the college basketball gods do their work, and I'm gonna go three for three and have a bounce back because I've just been thinking too much about it because. I don't like how does how does the Joe Burrow line not hit of one and a half pass touchdowns when it's called Burrowhead? Like I mean, like what are we doing, guys? You want to call him Burrowhead? You want to hype this man up and and wet your panties over him? And he can't even throw two two pass touchdowns in a conference championship. So. Well, Sam, I gotta, yeah, I think you got to go with your gut because you were kind of um, expressing some distaste for Burrow a little bit ago. Right? Well, I did take the Chiefs money line and that hit and that saved me from going over three. So, but yeah, now this week, Colorado, Utah, Ohio State, three straight money lines, three straight college basketball bets. Let's do this. That's good. All oh, right. wait, speaking of best bets, I actually, uh, live on Fliff, just missed my parlay by, so that it was over 24 and a half, Bam Adebayo, points and assists. He finished with 24. But, um, oh my gosh. But we did hit this, I don't know if you guys can see the screen, this little four leg. Uh, those three hit, and then the Warriors are up by 15 with one quarter to go. So that looks promising. No, I won't jinx it, but at least we'll go one for two tonight on, on our parlays. Right. And then I take it to – Yeah, so basically last year I had a dis- – I mean, last week I had a disgraceful week. Uh, coming off, you know, a hot streak on my best bet segment, I am now in a very bad slump that I'm afraid I may never recover from. I'm currently 0 for 2. The only reason I'm not 0 for 3 is because last week I did not – correctly read the date on Liverpool Everton game, which is going to happen next weekend. So we will see if I go over three next weekend, but uh, hopefully not because, you know, I was rolling with all like the, the weird names. And, so you know, could the names. honestly go over six and not even know until it's all over? Well, <laughs> we will see because I, I definitely hope that these hit, but essentially, you know, I'm going off of, you know, the it factor from these, the names of these teams and, you know, basically just what, what it factor they give me when I read their name. Uh, first off, we got the Orlando Magic. This was not a spur of the moment uh, pick. I'm actually an Orlando Magic fan. Uh, if there is one or- NBA team that I support, it is the Orlando Magic and whatever. How does it feel being the only Orlando Magic fan in existence? We are all right. We have a good core. We just can't <laughs> win games, but you know it'll ha- it'll happen eventually. But who, who are they playing? Uh, so essentially, they're playing the Charlotte Hornets. You know, oh, so a G League team. Yeah, so essentially we should definitely win this What's at minus 105. Oh, okay. You know, it's a modest line, yeah, nothing crazy. Good. Next mm-hmm. off, we have sort of a wild card. Um, forgive me to this UFC female fighter for mispronouncing your name if I do. Uh, we got Look Boon Me. <laughs> Look Boon Me, L, Money Lion. Uh, L is the last initial of her name. Uh, it does not tell me what her actual last name is. But Look Boon Me, L. Uh, hopefully you beat Elise Reed uh, in the next in the coming days because feels like a lock to me. Uh, definitely oh. sounds like a lock just because her name is literally Look Boon Me. Bro, she's gonna give 
read the L. Exactly. And their last initial is L. So it just gave me the it factor. Um, nothing more to say there. I'm just rolling with what gave me success early on. And then finally, we got the Siena Saints. Uh, they featured on our investment segment earlier. Shout out Michael for putting them on the map. Uh, no one ever really knew who they were. Uh, they're beating Niagara, though, tomorrow at 7 p.m. Actually, that's 2 p.m. I just misread that. Hence why I'm over two and not over three. But essentially, minus seven and a half, I'm taking them to cover. You know, Saints, I'm a Saints fan. You know, they got the alliteration in there, Siena Saints. Yeah, and they're Saints facing fan. a literal waterfall. But might I add, Niagara Falls is frozen. So oh. oh, okay, okay. It's over. Yeah, cold. So then they're not iced up. They're not icy like that. <laughs> no, they're gonna free, they're gonna freeze up in the moment, right? Okay. When the falls are flowing, that's when you bet on Niagara. Oh, but um, oh yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. All right, I think that's gonna wrap it up. Make sure you do what we always ask you to do: like it up, like, comment, subscribe. You know where to go. We got we got some punishments pending. I think we each got two. We each got one punishment at least. And yeah, Sam we has two. No. Oh, I do. Yeah, from the TC. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Too. Um, yeah I, just for a short story, um, the other day, Vinay Rohan and I tried making a really nice TikTok to show y'all to kind of clear our names. Um, yeah, they were thirst trapping. Fortunately, the the song got copywritten, and uh, so the song is no longer available on TikTok. Yeah. So, <laughs> on, just, just use your imagination. We yeah. might post it without the sound. <laughs> well, how about viewers stitch sounds to it, and then whichever yeah, one, yeah. The best one will win the competition. Yeah, sure thing, sure thing. All right, yeah, that'll wrap it up for this week's pod. Uh, See you guys soon. Our mini episodes coming soon. Uh, until then, thanks for tuning in. Uh, hold down the fourth fan.